invite you to find a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to read um, 25 through 33. Luke chapter 14. If you're using the Pew Bible, um, we're on page 739. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will you not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think I've mentioned to most of you by this point. Um, a little over a year ago, Mary and I moved to a new home. I do not wish that experience on even my worst enemies, packing up all your stuff and moving to a new place. But, but we, we liked the house. We were happy to be there. And before we moved in, we made a few minor changes. There was some texture on the walls that we didn't particularly like. And so we thought, well, now's the time. If you're going to change those walls, let's do it before we move all our stuff in and there's dust everywhere, which there's still dust everywhere, but you know, it doesn't matter altogether. And they went and they pulled those panels off. It revealed so many things. Um, any of you who think you're going to pull your walls down and replace them, you're not going to find some stuff hiding in there, um, God bless you. It wasn't my experience. Um, there was interesting wiring choices in the, in the, behind the walls, like, Interesting choices that if I had known they were there, I probably had a hard time sleeping at night for fear that my house might burn down while I was asleep. Um, and then, turns out, there was just some stuff growing back there. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the humidity in your house is a fairly important thing. Uh, you want it to be moist enough that you can breathe, but not so moist that spores and other interesting things decide to grow back there. So when you go in and like rip all that stuff out, I was just thinking prettier walls. Um, and I found all this other stuff. When you come to my house, I, I want to walk you down to the crawl space and show you the beautiful encapsulation system that's down there. I mean, as much money as we spend on it, you should see it and just overjoyed with me at that. But anytime you do a project like that, you just go into it knowing that you're going to find stuff. Stuff that you didn't know was back there, expensive stuff. I'm learning this that um, even as we think about our church project. When we meet with these people and, and added to my list of things I did not learn in seminary. Uh, building projects, I did not learn that in seminary. I'm, I'm learning as I go. But apparently, these guys are going to start knocking, knocking holes in walls 
and they're going to find stuff, right? And like some stuff that needs to be remediated. It's going to cost a lot of money to fix what they don't even know yet. But anytime you start digging up and you get past the surface, you're going to find things under there that need to be addressed. And I think in many ways that was Jesus' ministry in a nutshell. That Jesus came into the world and he addressed the spiritual condition of the people of his day. And there was a way in which they looked pretty good on the outside. But Jesus wasn't content to just let them look good on the outside. He, he, he looked deeper. He started poking holes, so to speak, in the walls of their heart and exposing what was there. And calling them to a life of, of greater faithfulness than they had embraced at that point. And this is really a process that happens all the time in the history of God's people, and it happens all the time in the history of the church. See, the, the problem with us as God's people is that we are not yet perfected. We are not yet fully conformed to the image of Jesus. And so just through our involvement in the world and just through our own evil hearts, that you and I might experience times of renewal and revival and then we just continue to live in the world, and the world has a way of, of, of drawing us away from the faithfulness that maybe we once had or that God desires for us. I'm reading a book about spiritual renewal and revival, and it gives me a little bit of hope, honestly, for the current co cultural moment. Because here's the thing, it's always been this way. You might think, all right, if I went back to the 1700s, I bet those people love Jesus. I thought there were some faithful Christians back then. You start reading about the first great awakening and you start reading about what Jonathan Edwards said about the congregation that he had. He's like, these people, man, these people need Jesus real bad. And it's just this cycle that always happens, and it's going to continue to happen until Christ comes back. And so in this season of life where we're, we're looking at our own hearts and we're asking the Lord to renew and revive us in the places that we need to be renewed, we shouldn't be surprised that there's some hard, kind of heart-level stuff that God's calling us to through the teachings of Jesus. Things like not looking at, quote-unquote, sinful people as worse than us, but looking at them as people just like us who are in need of God's mercy and those of us who have received mercy um, love much because God's forgiven us much. Or the parable of the Good Samaritan that, that you and I can't just be content to live our own lives and not worry about the struggles of other people, but that actually God calls us to look at them with eyes of compassion, just like he looks at us with eyes of compassion and draw near them and not run away from them in their need. Or that God desires for us more than just looking good on the outside, but he desires that we would actually bear fruit for his kingdom. And all these things that Jesus just kind of keeps drilling down into our hearts to say, this is what's been accepted, this is what's kind of going on, but, but what really I'm calling you to is something deeper and better and more faithful and ultimately likely harder. In the passage in Luke chapter 14 today, the, the passage right before it is, is really helpful to set the context for where we're going. So Jesus tells this parable about a guy who threw a big party, who threw a big banquet. How many of you like to go to banquets that other people pay for and they provide the food? Like, I am down. If you want to throw a banquet, email me, send me an invitation, I'm there. Uh, I went to one last night. Drove in my car, 
Somebody had delicious barbecue for me. I ate it, enjoyed some fellowship, and then I went home. But I had an option, right? They sent me an invitation, and they said, we're doing this. Love for you to come. And I had options. I could have said, well, you know, life's crazy, life's busy. I've got da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da going on. Sorry, I can't make it. And that, that happens from time to time. Well, apparently in this parable Jesus teaches, there were a lot of people who received the invitation, and they just said, I got this going on, I got that going on. There were always people who were finding excuses not to respond to the invitation. Same thing happens for us as disciples of Jesus. That you and I can easily find all these reasons that we can't be involved in fill in the blank that God calls us to. And so after he tells about this banquet and people not responding, Luke tells us that Jesus was surrounded by these crowds. Now, in this sanctuary today, feel free to look around. I mean, we have a decent crowd of people here, okay? We brought everybody from the first service in. I mean, we barely have places to sit. And the temptation when you get in front of a lot of people is to, you know, tell them something they want to hear. Don't rock the boat. Don't make life too difficult or hard, you know, maybe just kind of down the road, middle, easy kind of thing. And Jesus is surrounded by all these people and does exactly the opposite. Like any church growth expert would probably be like, Jesus, what are you doing? All these people are around, and Jesus starts off with this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You know, like, at this point, perhaps if I said that to you about me, like, slowly trickling out, right? Like, I'm out. Thanks. Appreciate the invitation. And Jesus is speaking, surely, in some sense, hyperbolically. I mean, Jesus also would say, if your hand makes you sin, you're supposed to do what? Cut it off. If your eye makes you sin, gouge it out. Um, if that was literal, all of us would not be able to make it to worship for all the reasons that we're cutting body parts off. But that Jesus is getting to the heart of, of discipleship. And I think what Jesus is, is saying here is that he's preparing us for the possibility that faithfulness to his call upon our lives will put us out of step and out of sorts, potentially with the people closest to us and potentially with the people that provide for our security and our needs. If you kind of rewind back to the first century, family was hugely important for your livelihood and to survive. But you and I live in a world where there's, there's a social system in place to kind of help us if we don't have anybody else. But, but when Jesus came into the world and he's teaching these things, to walk away from your family is to kind of cast yourself on the good of strangers who are going to help you as you go throughout life. So Jesus is saying, if you are his follower, your first order level of allegiance is to him. And no matter how close you are or how dependent you are upon anybody else in your life, Jesus comes first. I love starting services and baptismal services, but you and I make a three-word confession of faith that it's really easy to say. And it's really hard to live. Just a few moments ago, I asked you all, what's the confession of faith that you make? And you said, Jesus is Lord. Which means, 
um, what Jesus says goes. Whatever he says, I'm going to do that. And it's easy to sit in a sanctuary like this and say that. Really easy. But then you have the hard job of walking outside the sanctuary into the real world with live fire, correct? It's not a training exercise. Like when you leave, real people, real consequences, real challenges that you, that you find. And oftentimes your pursuit of faithfulness to Jesus is going to cost you something. It's going to require something of you perhaps even require you to step out on faith and trust that God's going to provide for you when everybody else walks away from you. So Jesus says, if you come after me, my disciple, that you have to have a love for me that surpasses your love for everybody else in your life. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Most of us as Christians, we... we speak positively of the cross as long as we're connecting it with Jesus. We're like, yes, grateful for all that Jesus did for me on the cross. And then Jesus turns to us and says, my pattern of life now becomes your pattern of life. And we're like, ooh, that doesn't sound quite as glorious as the first understanding of the cross. And really, Jesus modeled this for us in his life. And when you walked in this morning and I asked you the question, if I said, is Jesus pro-family or not, what would you have said? You would have said, yeah, surely Jesus is pro-family. And then you think about his life when Jesus went out to do his public ministry. You remember how his family responded? It's like they were around the, the, the dinner table and somebody was like, all right, who's going to get Jesus? Go get your brother, James. He's going crazy, right? He's going out and doing this ministry in a way that we all think he's lost his mind, perhaps. He's, he's gone off the deep end. And so Jesus was abandoned by those closest to him. And then Jesus had this group of disciples that we would hope that they would stay with him. But Jesus, the closer he gets to the cross, where do the disciples go? Tuck, tell, and run. And so there Jesus is effectively by himself at the end of his life, living into this confession of faith that you and I make, that his father is Lord. He yields his will and his plans to God's will and plans in his life. And, and ultimately, in him laying down his life, he bears fruit in you and me. That he accomplished our salvation on the cross by entrusting himself to his father, that he would raise him up from the dead, and he did. And you and I are products of that, of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so in this passage, Jesus is saying, I just want you to know what you're getting into. Hey, crowds following me, this is the path of discipleship and obedience I'm calling you to. And then he gives us two stories to try to think about it. He says, there's this guy. He should have said, there's this guy named Wayne. Any building project I think about never ends up like I think it's going to. Uh, there, there's this guy, I thought he was going to build a tower. But he made a fatal mistake. He didn't ab allocate enough resources, which is any of us, if we're contemplating any kind of construction project, it's always going to cost way more than you think and take longer than you think, correct? And they say this guy was going to build a tower, but he didn't do enough planning. He didn't count the cost well enough. And so he looked 
foolish in front of everybody because he started a tower that he couldn't finish. He said, there's this other guy. He's a king. He's got 10,000 troops, which sounds fine, except for the fact that the other king has 20,000 troops. He says, as he's taking stock of what's about to happen on the battlefield, I can only think about this in terms of perhaps your favorite football team planning to go to Athens and like, Maybe we should have just sent, you know, people ahead of us to offer terms of peace. It was never going to work well. Anyway, but but you think if it's not going to work well, maybe we should just be like, hey, let's don't do this. Let's have terms of peace. If we're going to lose, no sense in all of our uh, army being wiped out in the process. No sense in losing life. And then Jesus says, okay, the point is obvious, correct? Pay attention to what it's going to cost you before you say yes. Make sure you got the resources to finish the task. And then Jesus says, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any of you who's not willing to walk away from everything in your pursuit of following me is not worthy of being my disciple. And as you read that and as you wrestle with that, and and throughout this parable series, um, I I haven't had enough time to worry about what faithfulness looks like in your life because I'm too busy worried about it looking in my own heart and life, to be honest with you. But as you look at this call upon your life to be a follower of Jesus and to lay your life down, trusting that he's going to provide and raise you up and produce fruit through you, you can't help but kind of look at your life and say, what would it look like to be faithful to Christ's call upon my life? And to say, I think that what God's telling me here through Jesus is ultimately leading me into a better, abundant, more fruitful life than if I just kind of tipped my hat to Christ and went on my way. And, and then the inconvenient truth of the Bible, and remember this is Jesus speaking. Um, sometimes we're like, that mean old Paul, don't give me any Paul. Well, Jesus is tough enough on his own, the real Jesus from Scripture, not whatever we make up in our minds. But Jesus is gracious enough to come into our lives, and it's like he's doing a renovation project. And you and I are like, hey, we just want new tile in the bathroom. That's all we need. And Jesus comes in, and he tears up the tile, and the subflooring is rotten. And in that moment, I mean, I guess you got options. You could just cover it up, correct? If I came into your house and I was your contractor and I was like, I tore the tile up. I got bad news. Your floor is about to fall in. But I'll just cover it up. Well, fine for a while. But eventually you're going to get out of that shower and find yourself in the crawl space, correct? Or many of you in here are doctors and you're friends of mine. If I came to you and you saw something in me, that was serious, and you're just like, hey, just take some Tylenol for your fever, you'll be fine. But ultimately, that's not going to work out well for me, correct? There's a deeper underlying problem. Jesus, in the same way, is graciously coming to us and trying to expose the places in our hearts and lives that we are not yielded to his lordship to ultimately lead us to paths where we can join him in his kingdom work and trust that he's going to provide for us. And it's always been this way for God's people.
Remember when they were out in the wilderness and they were right there on the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was coming after them? Do you remember, remember what they said? We should have just left us in Egypt. At least we had meat back there, right? At least we had something to eat and drink. And now we're kicked out into this wilderness. And in the wilderness, you don't have all of those kind of usual things that you turn to to sustain life and make it easy. You're, you're required to trust that God's going to show up and provide for you. And so as we're looking at this teaching this morning, I would encourage you to think about your own heart and life and to ask the Lord to be showing you the places in your life where you are not faithfully living into God's call upon your life. Places perhaps where you're just kind of making some concessions here and there, checking out, tipping your hat, doing the thing, being a respectable, upstanding Christian person in the eyes of most, but that you know if somebody could pull back the metaphorical walls, something different happened underneath there. And ask the Lord to show you that and to show you what path of faithfulness ultimately looks like. Trusting that he's going to provide for you. He's going to meet you out there in what seems like the forsaken wilderness. And he's going to provide for you ultimately. And here's the thing. Jesus is so gracious to tell us that now and not later. I told the first congregation, I'm pretty sure, I didn't check the numbers this morning, but I'm pretty sure the mortality rate's still 100%. You may have got any news otherwise. So we're all eventually going to get to the end of our lives and look back. And if we wasted our lives accumulating everything that the world had to offer us, but we, we weren't faithful to him, like, how unkind would he be to let us get to the end of our lives and gain everything but lose our souls in the process? And so he's encouraging us to count the cost now rather than later, to walk in faithfulness, to trust he will provide, so that you and I, when we get to the end of our lives, we've produced fruit for his kingdom that was worthy of the lives that he gave us. Here's a word of encouragement. You're like, please. Here's a word of encouragement. Um, God's not calling you to do anything that Christ didn't do first. And Christ is alive, seated where? The right hand of God the Father. And even now, he prays for you. So when you're walking in to those paths of obedience and you feel like it's hard, just know that, that God is not indifferent to your path of discipleship. He's experienced it. He's walking alongside you. He is a faithful high priest to pray for you. Um, and know that, that Christ laid down his life so that you and I might have eternal life and that ultimately it ends really well. It ends really well for all of us. Somebody pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for exposing the things in our hearts that we would rather um, leave covered up. And Lord, we do, um, even as we confessed in that song earlier, um, we don't want to walk around in fear. We don't want to walk around um, believing that there's something better than obedience. 
do your will for our lives. And so we pray that you'd free us from those things and that we would be confident that we will not want, even if we walk ultimately to the shadow of the valley of, valley of the shadow of death, that you will be there and you will provide for us. So use us to be faithful disciples, to pursue your kingdom and your glory. And give us the grace and the mercy that we know we need. And all for this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Um, if you're here this morning and God's calling you to confess your faith in Christ and you've never done